0: The Recruiting Blitz Podcast, powered by the UC Report, is back after a week off. Welcome, plenty to discuss this week, as well as we'll be joined by a former All-Pro to give us some insight on top running backs in this class and some advice for future prospects as well. Welcome back to the Recruiting Blitz podcast powered by the UC Report. This is Craig Hobart, joined by my sidekick Wade Jirasi and producer Danny, Danny Priest. Uh, we were not here last week. It was a busy week, two games on the ESPN Geico High School Football Showcase. had uh, have myself on the road most of the week. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about those two games and the previous week's game coming up a little bit later. We're also going to be joined by a former All-Pro fullback and now the running back coach at IMG Mike Sellers and get a little bit into uh, some of the advice that he has for for running back prospects some of the talent that they have there at IMG and also look back at a uh, uh, NFL career that was over 10 years long so looking forward to visiting with Mike a little bit obviously always Wade new commitments they're starting to pick up a little bit not a lot but we're starting to see a little bit of a uptick in commitments we're going to hit on some of the the big ones but i think first off i want to start off wade is that we're we're not even out of september yet and we already have two power five jobs that are opened up which yeah. is which is just, you know i think people wanted the early signing period because they felt like their recruiting calendar was getting accelerated and obviously we've seen over the previous years the early signing period is the signing period yeah roughly 80 percent of the class give or take a few percentage points Winds up committing during that early signing period, but I think one of the maybe unintended consequences of that is we're seeing more and more coaches get the axe earlier on, and some of the theory behind that is well, it, to try to get a jump on this current class for for if you're Nebraska or Arizona State, that would be the twenty three class. I don't, you know, I don't know how much it helps. I think because what it may help you do is get to the front of the line in terms of the top coaching candidates, but that's still not going to happen until the end of the regular season, most likely, if not even a little bit longer, then you're still a month away from your early signing period. I've always said, and I still believe this, you should never hire a coach to salvage that year's current class. You've got to look Agreed. at the big picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some of the teams that really <clears throat> entered into difficult situations, the two that come to mind to me are Florida this past year and South Carolina two years ago with Billy Napier. That class wasn't even inside the top 75 coming out of the early signing period. They got Kamari Wilson. They got a little bit of a a buzz going into the February signing period. Finished at the bottom of the SEC, but now have a top 10 class. And in Shane Beamer, that class for, for South Carolina didn't even finish in the top 75, but they didn't panic. Now with the top 20 class, South Carolina showing improvement on the field. So I think... It's always difficult if you're looking to just try to salvage that. you, you got to look at the big picture, and that first class is probably going to be a rough one in terms of numbers. Uh, but I think if you don't panic, start working towards that next year, you can quickly make up um, some ground. So we'll see how the coaching hires end. A lot of names being thrown out for both. A lot of it, including Urban Meyer. <laughs> Urban, Meyer <laughs> Urban Meyer's name is now the new John Gruden. Remember every time a yes, job opening yes. came up, yep. it was John Gruden. Uh, now it's Urban Meyer who... Was out and uh, uh, back into the uh, broadcasting world, and I would be surprised if, if he landed uh, either of those jobs. But two very different ones. Obviously, you got Arizona State. Anybody who's been to Arizona State, uh, beautiful campus, warm weather. I think a lot of people feel, and rightfully so, that that's kind of a sleeping giant. Now, there's a lot of, that comes with it, because there's NCA investigations that are underneath as well. They're also we don't know what the future of the Pac-12 uh, holds as well. So while there's a lot of positives, Arizona State, there's also some, maybe some short-term, of course, uh, yeah. some short-term questions.
1: You know, and I think comparing both the Arizona State job and the Nebraska job, like you said, when you're talking about maybe trying to salvage like a quick recruiting class, obviously it's going to be more so what you can do over the course of you know stacking two, three, four, five classes together. And so I just look back a little bit on these two states, and Nebraska, which has come on some hard times as a program, and the. Previous two head coaches that they fired were actually quite successful there. In the last five classes, there have only been nine four star prospects from the state of Nebraska. Compare that to Arizona, and of course, there is one more other, you know, Power Five in state school in that state, but 39 four star prospects. Going a little bit deeper, there have only been 27 high three star prospects in the last five classes from the state of Nebraska compared to 94 for Arizona. And that kind of reminded me about a a thing we were doing for Tom Luganville's TV broadcast a few years ago, where we were looking at average distance from a high school prospect's hometown to the school that they signed with. And the average distance across the country for Power Five programs is about 275 miles. Lug's was doing a Nebraska game and we ran their current class. And their average distance was 1,025 miles from campus. So you're talking about, I mean, how many programs do you have to leap over before someone from the state of Texas or the state of Florida or Georgia? Every recruiting gets... battle, almost every recruiting battle, you're fighting in somebody else's backyard. Of course, just makes it.
0: I've always said good recruiting starts at home, and for Nebraska, they do a good job in state. If you ever been to Nebraska, the Corn Oscars are the state of Nebraska. Of course. Uh, you know, I, I was a GA. Uh, got my master's from Nebraska-Omaha. familiar with it now. But even UNO, which was probably the second closest <laughs> challenger, and I'm using air quotes, you can't see me, in challenger, but that, <laughs> they no longer even have a football program. So Nebraska but always does well with, in state with legacy players, but it's just – what is that? So you gave your numbers. I looked a little bit even deeper. So here's the problem. Here's the struggle with Nebraska.
1: Limited number, as you gave, in the state of Nebraska. How, how, eight over how many years? You I said? think it was uh, – there were nine four-star prospects in the last four years. Okay. 27 high three-star players that we would you know, deem have a, the potential to maybe be a multi-year starter at the Power Five level.
0: That state, limited pool of talent, that state borders Iowa, Colorado, Kansas, Wyoming – South Dakota, all right? Uh, I didn't include Can- a little sliver of uh, Missouri, all right? But <laughs> I'm going with those five. Of those five, this year, eight total ESPN 300 players. And those five. Now wow. remember, yeah. Kansas has two Power Five programs. Iowa has two. Colorado has a Power Five and a G5. Uh, South Dakota, listen, South Dakota State is turning into an FCS power. <laughs> and one state above with North Dakota State. If you don't think North Dakota State has it and can't sway, some borderline prospects to go to, to the Bison. Absolutely, they they could do. so. You're looking at being surrounded by states that also have shallow pools, have programs. So not only are you limited in terms of location with the amount of prospects you have, you're surrounded by states where you're also limited a bit in terms of the prospects, and you're going to have to battle those schools. And to your point, a thousand miles, you're having to constantly go on the road. To get prospects. Get now, in the air, not just on the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cliche. <laughs> you know, and I think what's... The, and the, the struggle, what makes Nebraska such a difficult job is that it's got a rabid fan base. I mean, they love their football. They've got a rich history. And a lot of people in that state still remember that rich history that now is, you know, that last title run was early 2000s, um, you know, under Solage. Uh, but, you know, there was a point... I was talking to—I well, forget who I talked to one coach who was familiar with Nebraska. He said, "You know, you got to remember in the '70s, in the '80s, there wasn't cable TV. There wasn't uh, every college game on. There was maybe 10 to 15 teams that regularly rotated USC, Notre Dame, yeah. Miami. Nebraska was one of those teams that was always in the mix on national TV and college football. So Nebraska can go into a school anywhere in the country, and they had." Immediate recognition, because they were one of those teams. Well, now because of the internet, now because of the, all the cable TV and all the games being, that playing field has leveled some. So you lost a little bit of that that stigma, that kind of that wow factor that you had 30, 40 years ago. Uh, and you put it <clears throat> in, into the fact that you just can't you just can't build a roster off of your home talent. And then the expectations of a fan base that remembers the good times and so desperate. There, it's a really, really difficult job, that I, and I, that I don't know if anybody they can hire will ever really do better than what Bo Pelini did. Bo Pelini's biggest problem was when they got into a on ma- um, big game. Yeah, they like got blasted. They got blasted. <laughs> like he would get them to nine, ten wins, and I think that's really where Nebraska is. You just you wanna you wanna just when you get those opportunities to a Big Ten championship game, you wanna close, and I think that's what what the, the hope is.
1: And I think in terms of the expectations from the fan base, like, of course, you know, they would love to get back to be compared to programs like Ohio State and Oklahoma and Texas, but they probably have more in common in terms of the fundamentals. Now, of course, the commitment is there. Uh, You know, the school is obviously committed to winning and committed to football, but they may have more in common with a program like Minnesota than they do Ohio State. Now, of course, Oregon is a program that's been able to maintain success without a ton of local talent, and they've, you know, established a national recruiting brand, but as you've laid out, it's it's a tough road. It's not an easy task for the Cornhuskers. And, you know, I think depending on how things shake out, as we talked about with some of the
0: immediate hurdles for Arizona State, there is maybe a little bit more, because you're also bordering, you're right there with California. Mm-hmm. You can get into Nevada. I mean, so there's a lot there, but I think whoever does take over that Arizona State, initially is gonna have a lot of work to do, because right now they only have six commits. Their highest is a, a 78 safety. None of their current commits, none of their current commits are from Arizona. I saw that. So <laughs> yeah. we see how long this goes. Like somebody may end up potentially taking over this class with five or less commits, depending on what what happens. So you know, whoever does take that job immediately is going to have a lot of work, and I think though they're going to have to take the patience path of like, all right, we're just going to need to kind of weather the storm in this first class and try to build looking at 2024, but uh, in, the, in the short term for Arizona, whoever does get that job, it's, you're not, you're, you're taking over not much. And what they, the two classes, their, their last year's class uh, was outside the top 75. Uh, their 21 class was 36. Their 2020 class was 23, but they're not getting a lot of those guys are either gone or not getting a lot of production. So there's a lot of a lot of work to do in taking over what's going to be likely a very very small class, and then really just having a lot of do do a lot of rebuilding as well.
1: And then the other potential hurdle with the Arizona State job is that you're a little bit behind the Arizona Wildcats and Jed Fish, who um, obviously didn't have a great record on the field last year, have started off pretty well this year. And while their class is not loaded, uh, their current class is not loaded, you know, with ESPN 300 prospects. They're a program that's getting out and offering a lot of kids earlier. They're doing a lot of great early identification, and we really like the depth of their current class. So while the Wildcats are a little bit established, the Sun Devils will be playing catch up with you know whatever the new regime is that takes over.
0: Yeah, I mean, I work to still be done, but Arizona certainly seems to be trending in the right direction. And if you are an Arizona <laughs> State fan. You're happy because now you've really got a chance to kind of maybe take a big step and widen the gap a little bit against your in-state rival. So, all right, (laughs) we're not even even out of September yet. We already got two major job openings. Crazy. We thought last year was wild. We'll see how this year shakes out. But obviously, uh, two interesting jobs, two uh, jobs with a lot to like, but also two jobs with a lot Uh, with a lot to uh, take on as well. We'll see how those unfold and and who each school taps as their next head coach and how they do, and certainly something to keep an eye on. One of the great things about being in this industry, uh, initially as a coach, now in the recruiting industry, calling high school games for ESPN, On the camp circuit with the Under Armour All-American Camp Series, the UC Report Camps is uh, obviously you get to see the future of college football, and in many cases the NFL, but you also get to run into and meet and work with a lot of great uh, coaches and individuals as well. And with our camp series, we've got a wonderful collection of coaches, a uh, a lot of experience, a lot of knowledge, but also a lot of good times too. And this gentleman joining us right now is certainly one of those guys I've gotten to know in the last two years as he's joined the camp series as our full-time running back coach does an outstanding job uh, well over I think 16 year pro career if you put together the NFL and the CFL so a long time and now giving back as a coach as a running back coach at IMG and I'm talking about uh, Mike Sellers thanks for uh, joining us Mike
2: yeah good to be here man Anything for you you know that
0: I <laughs> appreciate it uh you know, so we you played the game for a long time. We'll get into a little bit because you took a, a road not often traveled by many as, we, you know, as we cover recruiting. Um, right. but, you know, there's more than one way to get to the top, and you certainly proved that. But, you know, now in this stage of your career, mentioned you're a big part of the camp series, also a running back coach for IMG for several years. What What brought you into the coaching realm?
2: You know, when I was playing football, I told myself I'd never coach. I just it just some it was something I never wanted to do and uh, I did a 6-week internship with the Steelers with uh, Mike Tomlin and those guys and uh man, it was an experience and ever since then that it's been something I wanted to do and and it's it's been working out well for me.
0: have you found it as rewarding as you thought?
2: Oh uh, yeah, Oh, man, it, that's 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 I don't really know how to put it just to see if the kids that I get to coach and succeed in life go to major colleges and do the things they're doing it's it's awesome
0: yeah i remember playing and being out at two a days and watching coaches around walking around with shorts and thinking man they're so lucky like they're like there's nothing going on and but then when you go take a nap they're watching film and everything was was coaching kind of a shock when you got onto that side of it or would you kind of expect it after being in, in the league so long that you know the hours that go into coaching
2: Oh, man, no, I, you know, I expected it. I, I knew what it entailed, and uh, it's just the love of the game. It, it's not work when you enjoy what you do. So, for me, uh, it was just an added plus. I mean, it's not – I mean, to, to coach football and that be your main job, I mean, that's not a bad job to have.
0: No, no, <laughs> not at all. And, you know, when speaking of coaches, you talked about that internship with the Raiders and Mike Tomlin. One, one thing – I was going to ask this later on, but I can't contain myself. You know, one, you one of the coaches you got to play for, uh during his entire tenure, a second time with uh the Washington Redskins, now the commanders was Joe Gibbs. Uh so I have to pressure you, you know, what was it like playing uh for a Hall of Fame coach? You maybe kind of what, if any tidbits did you take away from your time under Gibbs?
2: I've I've taken a lot from that man. He he's one of the greatest coaches I was able to be coached by. Uh, I, I would run through a brick wall for that man. I there's nothing I wouldn't do for him. He was genuine. He he was a man of his word. He you know, he took you to the side and he'd give you little tidbits on what he thought he could help you with, or whatever. Man, he was just an awesome guy, man, a hell of a coach, and I see why guys played so hard for him.
0: Do you see some of your coaching style coming from uh, that time with him?
2: Oh, definitely my my patience, because yeah. he was a very patient man <laughs> and, until he wasn't. <laughs> but uh, you know, he he was a very patient man. He was uh, he made teaching the game easy he showed different ways to teach the game to different people you know some people were audio some people were visual some people had to go through the motion so he had his niche of finding ways for guys to figure out how they learn the best and he he utilized it that way so I mean I'm fortunate
0: what was uh what was the the method that you found worked best for you
2: uh I'm I'm more of a visual person so film if I see it once I got it you know, so that's me. I, I love watching film anyways. I, I mean, that's, you know, we break down film a lot of times anyway. So that was the best way for me to learn. Uh,
0: Any Who were some other influential coaches or uh, figures along the way in your career?
2: Oh, man, uh, I'm, uh, this is crazy. Defensive side, Greg Williams. Uh, I, I love picking his brain. Uh, you know, I, I love learning about fronts, defenses and how guys are playing you and he gave me a little tidbits and how, hey, okay, but they're running this coverage and I got a route. How do I beat it? You know, what would you tell me to do? Or what what would you, you know, what would be the best thing for me to do? And he really helped me out a lot.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, a defensive coach, but it it, uh, it, it makes sense because now we all think about Deion Sanders as, as a Hall of Fame cornerback who's working as an offensive, or was an offensive coordinator when he was at the high school level, now as a head coach at Jackson State, but kind of said, you know, I know the stuff on defense. I want to use it on offense to go against defense. So to be able to be able to kind of uh, pick that brain, you know, one other thing you kind of jog my memory too, is I don't know if you get this from the kids at IMG, but we're always asking kids to fill out questionnaires and get questions. And I'm always amazed that, I don't know, maybe well over a decade now since we've lost Sean Taylor, that he still kind of rings with, with players who are coming up and the impact that he has. I mean, um, you know what was it like uh, playing with Sean? What, what kind of what kind of player was he? Uh,
2: to me, he would have been the greatest safety to play the game if you know his life wasn't taken so shortly. I mean, he came in; he was about two hundred fifty pounds playing free safety. <laughs> I mean, he was he was he was stacked. I mean, he looked like a linebacker. I mean, but he could, he, he he could he could run. And uh, the thing about Sean I like the most, man, is he could be in a room and you would never know he's there because he was quiet. He didn't speak much. You know, he let his actions speak for himself. And, uh, but I mean, one of the nicest guys. My wife cooked a lot. So he would always, after every game, he would always come to the house and uh, he would eat. He didn't miss a meal. So, you know, he was like a little brother (laughs) to me. I was fortunate to get to hang out with him as much as I did.
0: What type of... uh... You know, he was, I mean, it was so much natural of talent, but I mean, uh, you know, what type of practice player was he, uh, you know, what, what was he like kind of off the field?
2: Well, practice player, this guy, you know, he, he was, he was a big dude when he came in as a safety. So in order for him to lose weight, he would run to practice and run from practice. Now that was a good five to seven miles from where oh. he lived. Wow. Oh. So I mean, he he was a workhorse, man. You never you never had to get on him about working hard. You had to actually tell him to chill out a little bit, yeah. because it, every practice was a game to him, you know. And he was just one of those guys you never had to tell to work hard. But off the field, like I said, he was he just quiet, just you know, laid back. He wasn't loud. He wasn't rowdy. He just he'd sit back and watch everybody. And you know, like I said, you wouldn't know he was there.
0: Uh, his time way too short, but I'm, I'm always. Impressed and amazed, though, and and glad that he there's even players that are now coming up uh, that were just children uh, when we lost him That he still still is able to make an impact.
2: Also. What's funny is, uh, like, I'll bring up some older players and like kids are like, I don't know who that is. But <laughs> if you, bring, you bring up Sean Taylor, like, yeah, I know Sean Taylor. And I'm like, <laughs> they played around the same time. You should know this guy. But yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. Well, that's a good transition.
1: It's funny you brought up uh, people not knowing some of the players from back when you were playing in the league. Our producer, Danny Priest over here is uh, quite a bit younger than both of us. And I asked him if he had ever heard of Larry Centers, a guy who you crossed <laughs> paths with in uh, Washington and with was so much focused on uh, fantasy football these days. I just wanted your take on a guy who I think caught over 800 passes in a totally different era. What kind of player would Larry Centers have been today? And, uh, how much would Danny and all of his uh, buddies playing fantasy over there know
2: about him? Oh my goodness, that dude was a freaking stud. I mean, uh, <laughs> I was primarily the the back. He was the receiving back. I did all the dirty work. Oh yeah. Uh, but uh, I mean, yeah, he was a he, he was a route fanatic, man. He hey, I don't care who you put him on, he was gonna get open, and uh, he was just a, he was a short guy, maybe five, eight, maybe on a good day, <laughs> but I mean was a freaking nature though on the field he wasn't scared of anybody he he might not have the weight on him but he was going to try and block you the best he could and
0: what was you know um you talked about sean running to and from practice and and um you know i'm always curious too because i think sometimes and you probably know as well working at img i think sometimes players think it's going to come easy but i mean everything especially as you get higher and the competition level gets more intense uh there's less margin for error i mean Did it kind of come naturally, kind of the work ethic to you? Is it something you had to kind of learn kind of along the way? And maybe who were some players that jumped out to you that you said, wow, these guys, you know, despite being great talents, I mean, I'm impressed by their work ethic.
2: Well, first of all, my dad's retired military. So I think the work ethic comes from that, just being driven as a young. But I, I was always that way to me. I mean, I didn't know anything other than to work hard. I mean, everything I did, it was 110%. We'd be in nine on seven drills in practice, and they would take me out of practice because I was going too hard, you know. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's just one of those things, man. It's just—I was just—I was just driven.
0: Yeah, you don't—you don't play as long as you as you did if you're not, but you know. And I think one interesting things in the era of the the transfer portal, um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, your path was not a was not a normal one traveled. I mean, uh, was it always just kind of. You know, keep knocking down doors and keep working. I mean, was there ever a point because you, your your journey included junior college, stopping the CFL. I mean, was it always kind of a singular focus, or were there times where where you know you kind of doubted yourself? Uh,
2: I'm not. I never really doubted myself. I I was pretty arrogant. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. I, I knew my abilities, and I mean, I coming out of high school, I had. I was bigger than most kids. I was about 250 coming out of high school, pretty lean. I ran a four or five forty I, I just, I I studied the game a lot more than a lot of the other kids while they're playing video games. I was out lifting weights. I was doing what I needed to do, you know, trying to get my football. Like when I, I knew all I wanted to do was play football. So for me, it was, it's just a natural process, man. And my first year of football, uh, got all American on both sides of the ball. And then I got a phone call from, uh, the CFL and I was like shoot I don't got to go to college <laughs> and I get paid a good decent amount of money I'm, I'm, I'm gonna try it out and I, I made it um I thrived for three years and then from there I went to the NFL hey I
0: mean you talked about your your 40 and everything obviously if anybody has uh ever seen you Mike you're a large individual you don't necessarily fit the, the typical mold of somebody in a the backfield then I guess from a scouting perspective, I mean, maybe, you know, uh you're always trying to fit everybody into boxes sometimes. Along the way, was anybody trying to be like, hey, you're too big, you should you should be a defensive lineman or a linebacker was there a part of the journey where you had a fight to stay in the backfield?
2: Yeah, it was always an issue until Gibbs. He he liked bigger backs, you know, but until they actually see me run and catch and run routes, you know, then it 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 was a it was a no brainer. So I mean, I was I would always had to prove myself. Being a, I was always a, I was two forty in high school playing tailback. <laughs> I was bigger than most of my linemen. So you know, and then uh, I went both ways in junior college, and then I went to the CFL. I came in as a defensive end, and uh, they moved me to a fullback tailback when one of the American players got hurt, and that was all she wrote.
0: Nice, awesome, and then um. Uh, you know, kind of moving forward a little bit now. You're you're at IMG. You've, you've got this wonderful uh, wealth of kind of knowledge and uh, working at a program with always has tremendous players. I guess let's start with uh, the group. You know, we're we're going to be watching IMG this Friday night, six Central. Uh, excuse me, six Eastern, five Central on ESPNU taking on Central High School out of Phoenix City in Alabama. Uh, looking forward to that game, and one of the reasons why is because. Uh, a talented backfield that you guys will have, uh, uh, led by Jerick Gibson, a 24 commit. Kind of a give us a little bit about some of those guys that you get a chance to work with, and kind of what you th- feel like makes them special.
2: Um, Jarek is Jared Gibson. He's just a he's just an all around back. He's just a a specimen. I mean, you look at him. He just it, it, he just he looks like a tailback. He looks like he can play in the league right now the way he's built. Then uh, Donovan Johnson, who's a 2025 he's my he's my big back he's uh he's my my bruiser that's my guy that's going to just run through people and then I got a special guy is uh Evan Dickens number 20 he's not even a a scholarship guy here he's a full payer and uh he's special man like we found out of Carolina and um he he's just he's my scat back he's the one that makes those cuts make you miss in a phone booth and He's special, so I mean, I got three great guys that I'm, I'm very fortunate to coach. They're all different style backs and they're all exciting and I, I can't wait for everybody to see it on, on this weekend. So it's, it's going to be, it's going to be fun.
0: What's it like uh, Take us into kind of the meeting and the film rooms with, with those guys? I think that we had talked about it a few weeks ago. I think one of the interesting things and young running backs deserve credit for this, that, you know, maybe 15, 20 years ago, it was a big deal to be a featured back. And, uh, you know, I feel like no more that running backs going into college are okay with sharing the workload and probably uh, smartly. Do, I mean, do you kind of find that? Because at IMG, you're going to have a deep roster, uh, you know, maybe not in terms of overall roster, but you're always going to have two or three high quality backs. I mean, what is it like? And is it kind of is, there, is you have to become Dr. Mike Sellers at time and, and uh, put a little psychology into spreading the football around or, or is it, is that a little easier than people may think?
2: Well, I mean, it's, I let them know from the jump. It's running back by committee. I, I'm I'm straight up with my guys. I, I um I build relationships with my guys before I start coaching. You know that's something that I thrive on with my guys, and that has helped me because if my kids don't trust me, they're not going to believe in what I'm coaching them. So I've always been straight up with them, and uh, I, I'm just like just like they do in most power five schools. You know, I rotate my backs as much as possible. Everybody's getting get about the same amount of plays. You know, um, it's it's just one of those things. Like I, I just gotta, I gotta be vigilant about making sure everybody's getting their reps. You know, make sure everybody's happy. You know, because you know they're they're coming to IMG away from their family, and you know I, I got to sell them on being better backs. And the only way it can be better backs is getting that playing time. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm I'm fortunate to have all these great backs. It's just you know we we're, we're just a big family and we take care of each other.
1: Mike, you spoke about how much talent you have in your backfield right now. And of course, IMG's roster is, you know, usually pretty loaded at a number of different spots. IMG and some of the other top uh, high school programs in the country right now typically welcome players in who may not start as freshmen. I know that you guys do have a lot of talented 25s and 24s and 26s on your roster, but plenty of guys come in um, after their junior year or after their sophomore year. I guess it's a two-part question. What are some of the challenges for you guys as a staff, even though you have all these talented players coming in to get them integrated into your program? And then the second part of that is what could you tell about kids coming into your program, maybe for their uh, ability to succeed at the next level, if they're able to quickly grasp the things that they have to coming into IMG and a new setting and a new program?
2: Well, one thing I, I guarantee my back. So I don't, I don't, make it up, it is what it is. You're gonna come in as a good back. You're gonna leave as a, an elite back when I get done with you. So, you know, the the uh, football IQ part about it, we get a lot of classroom time. So understanding blocking schemes and, you know, different plays, zone, you know, counters and stuff like power plays and stuff like that. Having them understand that, get a great understanding where your double teams are. You know, that's the stuff that's gonna make them the elite backs and just, you know, just doing it constantly. So, I mean, we do have a lot of film time. There's a, we get a lot more film time than most kids do, you know, period, because we, we football 20, 24 hours a day, you know, 365 days a year. So, you know, it, it's always football, football, football. So they're, they're going to get their dose of it. So when they do leave IMG, they will be ready to play.
0: And work with those players at IMG and then also throughout, throughout the camp series, having played the game, now having coached and both at IMG, and in the camp series, I mean, I would be curious to know, like I'm sure you probably get your DMS. I know what advice would you give to young running backs right now, whether in terms of technical things or big picture things, or what's, what's the, you know, if you had to sit down with a player right now trying to become, you know, work their way up at maybe a ninth grade or a 10th grader, what type of advice would you kind of impart in them as a developing running back?
2: For me, the first thing I look for is work ethic. You know, how hard are you willing to work? You know, are you willing to work through pain? You know, little, you know, as high school players, you know, I hurt my pinky. I hurt my, you know, that, just that or something. You know, are you willing to work through that? I need to find how tough you're going to be. Because at the end of the day, you know, especially at IMG, we play more of the elite teams. You know, there's going to be bigger players, bigger linebackers. You're going to take a little bit more punishment. Are you willing to work through that? Or, you know, what's your mindset when it comes to that? So that that's why I start and then you know once you get to IMG I'm a stickler on the little things you know footwork you know hand placement stuff like that I'm 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 very hard on my guys my guys grades if you see my guy's grades they're low and that's because I'm, I'm I'm very strict I grade like I grade in the NFL I don't let them get away with anything you know if the ball swings out you get a minus point you know ball security is everything ball security job security so you know just um route running you know a I was telling my guys, put some sauce on the top of your route. You know, give them something. You know, don't just come out there and just run a route and 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 just call it a day. You know, you you got to work your craft every play, every day. So, I, I I ride my guys pretty hard, but they accept it. They accept
0: it. Oh uh, that's a great advice. You know, talent can only take you so far. With that work ethic, uh, it it it's really nothing. And like you said, it's something that you locked in really early on and uh, were able to overcome any challenges along the way. We'd, Put together a great career, and now as a head, as the head running back coach at IMG, and as I said, uh, a big part of the camp series that will be here before we know it, as we're only halfway through, halfway through this season. I guess you know we'll just wrap up with this the Under Armour camps. The you uh, see report elite underclassmen camps. I mean, what's it what's it kind of like working on those camps? Because like I said, at IMG you get to get those guys in a room on any given Saturday or Sunday. <laughs> you can get 30 guys out there from uh, anywhere along the spectrum and talent level and uh, uh, what's it like uh, working on those weekends at the camp series?
2: And I, I love it. I do because it's a change up because I'm dealing with all types of running backs from all walks of life. They come from everywhere all over the place and you know they're they're coming to get better, and they they absorb the coaching so much just in a short amount of time. And you know the competition that, that 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 the Under Armour camps and you guys put on, man, it's 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 fun. I mean, it's exciting. The guys have a blast. You know, got the music playing. You know, especially get the one on ones with the route running. You know, you hear us coaches talking trash, and you know the players are getting excited. And man, it's just awesome. It's just awesome. I love it.
0: Yeah, brings a lot of passion. I remember uh, we were doing the Ray Lewis camp in Ohio and getting ready for one-on-ones, and uh, Mike was getting everyone really hyped, and everybody got really, really hyped. <laughs> Started I, to I, um, pretty quick. <laughs> I almost
2: caused a riot. I was <laughs> like, "Oh, bro, wait a
0: minute!" <laughs> Mike got everybody hyped together, get everybody down. Thank God he's a large individual who was able to get that under control. But <laughs> it's a... that
2: was a fun camp.
0: We had a blast. That was awesome. Yeah, and then. Uh, uh, obviously, also on your staff is Jeff Blake, works with the quarterbacks and works on the camp series as well. And uh, how often do you have to walk down the hall and tell Jeff that your running backs are are able and ready to bail out his quarterbacks? You don't. You don't need to answer that. I'm just. <laughs> <laughs>
2: hey, I will. I will say this, Ben, because you know we we use uh, Jeff Blake's office to meet in with the running backs, and uh, I, I love it because you know he's working with one of our other teams right now, and he comes in and. He you know, he'll watch the guys when they play a game and he'll give his input. And, you know, it's crazy because the same things that I tell my kids is the same thing he says and but they tend to listen to him for some reason. I don't know why. They <laughs> him, you know, but uh it, it works because you know, we challenged a few guys this last week and then they they took off and they they they, they took it and they ran. We accepted the challenge. So, you know, we me and Blake, you know, we're real tight and uh we mean we work well that together at Ing and you know I, I appreciate him man he he's a stud he's a stud
0: yeah yeah well sometimes I Matt you tell them the same thing but sometimes it comes from a different voice and maybe it's the uh maybe it's the gray and Jeff Spear that we call him the professor that it, <laughs> it gets through
2: I gotta give the, I give the guys a side eye like like didn't I just say that you know like come on to the, they're locked in and listening to him and I'm like man come on I mean I'm the coach. <laughs> You know, but yeah, once they once they double up on it and they hear it, they'll coaches coaches talking the real message. So I'll awesome.
0: well, yeah. Well, I mean in your work speaks for yourself to you see the great job that Catron Allen already out the gate uh, is oh. doing at, at Penn. That's gotta be awesome to see Katron uh, is, is I'm sure this is not surprising to you.
2: Uh, no. Like I said, man, I, I build relationships with my guys. So we we stay in constant contact and uh I was texting him at halftime, and he was texting me back. And I'm like, don't be texting me at halftime. You got a game, you know. But uh, I was excited, man. Got two touchdowns as a true freshman, man, and he's doing his thing. I, I always preach to uh, impose your will, and he's uh, he's having a lot of fun imposing his will. So, uh, mm-hmm. hey, as a coach, man, that's all you 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 just, just love to see it
0: yeah I'm a, a great kid no always gonna root for any running back whose nickname is fat man so uh just, <laughs> and if there's ever a running back who's got the right to say feed me it's Katron. so uh we're uh, that's awesome to see well uh I really appreciate the time thanks for joining us like I said we, uh, IMG and Mike's talented backfield will be in action this Friday on ESPNU 6 Eastern, 5 Central against Phoenix City uh, Central High School in Phoenix City, Alabama, looking forward to that great matchup and seeing one of the most talented teams in the country uh, in action. So uh, make sure you tune in and appreciate the time, Mike.
2: Hey, man, much love, man. Y'all be easy now.
0: As I mentioned earlier, we were not here last week. Part of that was uh, two games. that we had on the uh, High School Football Showcase, uh, one out in Las Vegas between Brookwood out of Georgia and Bishop Gorman, and then we started out uh, that Thursday night, uh, St. Francis Academy was down in Florida taking on Venice. Actually uh, had back-to-back trips to Fort Myers Airport. Uh, I I don't think that's a record. I'm not sure too many people (laughs) have back-to-back weeks to Fort Myers Airport. Small airport, very nice. Uh, so, uh, give it a thumbs up. All my flights were on time too, so
1: kudos to. Uh, did the TVs uh, work? Uh, yeah, yes. Okay, good. Yeah, I really Florida I well,
0: Yeah, the TVs work because I just started watching on my phone. So. <laughs> uh, but you know, the reason why I was at Fort Myers week before, and I just want to give a quick mention because we weren't here last week, but uh, Lehigh versus Lake Gibson. And the reason why I want to mention that is because obviously Lehigh's uh, running back is Richard Young, number one ranked running back in the ESPN 300, committed to Alabama. Uh, they had gotten off to an 0-2 star. Teams were stacking the box. They were taking Richard out. Uh, so it was really interested to see how he would perform and the job that he would do. And uh, I'll tell you what, Wade, that was an uh, interesting night. I've been doing this for quite a few years. I've never had a game with an 8 o'clock kick end at 1.30 in the morning. <laughs> uh uh, they're named the Lehigh Lightning for a reason. I would much prefer uh, they would change their name to the Lehigh Blue Skies. It may not Sunshine. Be a, yeah, it may not be <laughs> as intimidating, but uh, maybe a little bit better of an indicator. But we had several le- uh, weather delays, but we actually wound up getting the game in. And, I, and I'm glad we did, because it was exciting. Uh, Lehigh got in the win column, and Richard Young, 32 carries, 285 yards, two TDs. Uh, he had a fumble in the game, just kept fighting back. And it was... It was what you want to see from a player who's the number one rank running back in the nation his season got off to a rough start like i said teams were really looking to take him out of the mix but that night he kind of carried that offense uh on his shoulders and really just put through a gutty performance and if you watch that game if you haven't try to go back and find it because there's also a great scene that somewhere in the second half maybe around midnight or 12:30, uh it's hot it's humid we had several thunderstorms everybody's cramping and uh Richard was on the sideline trying to choke down a bottle of pickle juice. And uh, <laughs> it, was, it was priceless. And whatever it is, uh, it worked. Because like I said, he put together a monster performance. I was really impressed by uh, the job uh, that he did. From that, we went out this past week. Like I said, I went back into Fort Myers and a little bit down the road, about an hour down the road, is for Venice, St. Francis Academy. Uh, loaded team at St. Francis Academy. I will say this, and he was not needed much. But I still believe the more time I spend around him that I feel that Michael Van Buren is a five-star talent in the, in the 2024 class. And something for us is uh, Billy Tucker and Tom Lugenbill, the rest us to get in a room and talk about. But I, my vote is more and more swaying because we did a comparison piece in that game comparing him to Bryce Young and similar, similar in build, similar in athletic ability. Uh, you know I, I think similar in demeanor as well uh so I, I just more and more I'm around Michael Van Buren the more and more I am impressed but really it was Darrell Robinson the Boston College commit that just wound up having a monster night uh him and Dewan Williams yeah through class back yeah. yeah so Robinson 15 <clears throat> carries 111 yards two TDs Williams 14 rushes, 114 yards with a TD those two backs were were just outstanding and defensively uh deshaun womack the lsu commit he had a great game and venice and a loss damon wilson wow he's another guy who is already ranked 57th in the country and watching that game probably too low he's, definitely
1: a consideration you know, for him rise he's up the long rankings. and
0: yep. he was everywhere they kept running to it i mean st francis won that game they do a great they kept running towards him and he kept stopping. i'm like <laughs> i'm like all right go away they they got her done but I tell you what, I was really impressed by the job that ended defeat. Damon Wilson left it all on the field. Uh, Really impressed by by the job he did. And then uh, my partner and I, uh, Conor Onion, my play-by-play, we got on a plane Friday morning, uh, flew out to Vegas because there was no way I was going to miss this game either. And I'll tell you what, uh, Brookwood was overmatched. They gave it everything they they could. But this Bishop-Gorman offensive line, maybe the best high school offensive line, at least in one night performance that I'd ever seen. We gave...
1: It was amazing. We yeah. gave the
0: player the game to the offensive line. It was that impressive. They, uh, they did an outstanding job running the ball. Uh, they gave their, their, uh, their very talented quarterback, Micah Alahado, uh, a 2024 with uh, Hawaii and Portland State, a young man who lacks ideal measurables, but is very good player, smart player. He, he, deser- he, should, he should have more at least group of five offers. Teams are gonna need to look past his size. And
1: see their production. He's a guy uh, checking out some film before that game who, and of course, it's tough to compare any high school player to one of the most successful players in college football history, but I kept seeing Kellen Moore. He doesn't have the height, he doesn't have the arm strength, lefty, but does everything else well. And he's in, of course, he has the benefit of playing uh, behind that great offensive line, but he is in total command of that system. Extremely precise high school player.
0: Yeah, I mean, so very, very talented young man. That Bishop-Gorman team is loaded. They're going to be... fun to watch the rest of the way and obviously you can't talk about bishop Worm, not talk about Zachariah branch two receptions 22 yards a 66 yard punt return um like i guess they were able to <clears throat> defensively just put so much pressure on dylan lonergan the, the alabama commit i mean he kept fighting but every time he would when you when you fall behind and you got to throw every time you drop back that somebody in his face and he kept trying to roll he it just wasn't his night, it wasn't their team's night. Uh, they, they really didn't have any answers in the trenches, so Dylan was really, uh, was really just kind of taken out of the game. Uh, but Zachariah Branch, I think, is maybe, I don't think, I, my opinion, is the most electric player in this class. He In a little flashes, he wasn't needed much, but when he got a chance to touch the ball, wow.
1: And then uh, also for Gorman, um, of course, we know about Branch, we know about that secondary that's just loaded with uh, Power Five guys across the board. I was impressed with the group of 2024 skill guys. Uh, the tight end, Elijah Lofton, who I know you really like and have compared to Brevin Jordan a little bit. And then that, those pair of backs, uh, Devin Rice and Micah Capana. Smaller guys, a little bit undersized, but both of them explosive, electric, playmakers. I mean, I definitely look for uh, the heat to turn up with those guys on the trail coming up soon here. Yep, absolutely. And then this... Friday, uh, six o'clock Eastern,
0: ESPNU. This is one of those pull up the TV tray, uh, get the TV dinner because we're right in that uh, sweet spot. It, it's an early bird game, so no reason, no reason to miss this one. Uh, watch it <coughs> while you're eating dinner. IMG Academy. We just talked to Mike Sellers. They've got that loaded backfield. Uh, interested to see how they do it against a, a, a central team that's coached by Patrick Nix, uh, Bo Nix's dad. Obviously, Patrick. Uh, Played at Auburn, was a college coach. He obviously a dad of, of Bo Nix. He's got another son uh, at Clemson, another son at Troy, uh, and then also now a really successful high school coach as well. And I think in his third season with Central, he does. A, he's got a really good team, and obviously, I think you got to talk about AJ Harris, uh, top corners uh, in the country. Really looking forward to kind of seeing seeing him 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 in action, and also Carmelo English recently. Now back on the market, Carmelo English, yeah. really a versatile uh, weapon. Uh, but they've got some young players as well to keep an eye on. Yeah,
1: 2024 wide receiver Cameron Coleman, who kind of had some limited film uh, from last year. He plays behind English and uh, the Air Force Commit. What's that young man's name, Craig? The uh, Yeah,
0: you're talking about Jared Wiley. Yes,
1: yes, Jared Wiley. Uh, so he's kind of you know sharing the load with some older players in that receiver group but this dude's a freak. I mean, he's almost 6'3". He's already putting up combine stuff that would light up the NFL combine. And uh, I know Coach Nix was pretty favorable of uh, his review of him and your discussion with him.
0: Yeah, in our call, getting ready for the game, uh, as I mentioned, uh, Patrick Nix has worked at the college level, and one of the players that he coached and recruited when he was at Georgia Tech was, was Calvin Johnson. And he threw it out there. <laughs> yeah, and he said, you know, listen, some of the things and how big he is in athletics, and that's that's an impressive comparison, but as you said, the numbers kind of match it. So he's, you know, listen, IMG is loaded, but uh, I tell you what, this is a, this is a Central team that went, he played for the 7A state title uh, a year ago um, and lost to Thompson, but this is a really talented team, so I'm looking forward to seeing. Uh, these two teams uh, kind of uh, collide on Friday night, and and Cam Coleman is certainly one of the younger players to keep an eye on.
1: Yeah, I mean, Central's not – they're no stranger to playing loaded teams, but IMG, of course, on a different level compared to just about any roster in the country, they have 41 – offered fbs prospects already that's it uh yeah that's it so i mean that's what the two deep okay <laughs> Yeah, the whole thing uh in that game though totally 12 espn 300 prospects 10 junior 300 prospects all those guys coming from img and a handful of uh, early 2025 and 26 watch list uh youngsters to look out for
0: not just 10 espn junior 300 players they're all within the top 100 yeah i yeah. mean <laughs> a
1: two five star cor-
0: so you got you got desmond ricks uh you got the, uh, the other corner, Ellis. And then you also have for AJ Harris, you want to talk about some great defensive uh, Ellis Robinson for IMG. Then you also got Harris for Century. You want to talk about some great defensive back play. Uh, got an interesting comparison as well. We got a little video package uh, for AJ Harris, a comparison to a current college player. Uh, so it's certainly tuned in to see who uh, we're talking about there. Again, Friday night, ESPNU. I'll be on the call along with Connor Onion as IMG travels to Alabama to take on Central, uh, 6 o'clock Eastern, 5 Central.
1: As we discussed the past couple weeks, fortunately, most of the action is on the field these days. Uh, But without a podcast last week, we still do have a number of impactful commitments to break down and run through. Just before we started taping today, uh, number 42 in the ESPN 300, wide receiver Jalen Hale, committing to alabama a program right now that's kind of struggling a bit to find a playmaker um, not short on talent in that group but per usual with alabama help is on the way 6'1 185 10500 meter kid with huge catch radius that we'll be seeing at the under armor all american game we've been and, uh, talking about
0: how the race for the top five and number one is 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 interesting one and a tough one but alabama that number one class right now just Adding well, two now, we're going to get to the other one in a second, is adding a lot more uh, depth to what is currently the number one class. As Nick Saban goes for potentially his eighth
1: number one overall It's Just unbelievable. And so Hale, but also earlier uh, in the week, Jordan Renaud, number 45 in the ESPN 300, a defensive lineman, 6'4", 240, huge wingspan. Uh, we've seen him at Under Armour Dallas at future 50, and we'll see him at the Under Armour... All, uh, All-American game as well. He's an interesting prospect, Craig. You have him uh, categorized as a defensive tackle, I believe, in the ESPN 300 ranks. He plays out at defensive end for his high school team. Uh, depending on physical development, I mean, he's about a 4'75 hand, uh, 40 guy, also, so possibly athletic enough to play in a number of different roles for them. Where do you see him fitting in in Alabama's front?
0: Well, I think what what's great about him is. To kind of go back to what you everything you listed off is versatility. Yeah. Like he brings supreme versatility because he's listed as a DT. I think we may end up moving him to DN, but he's done a really good job in high school since he's been on our radar of managing his weight. He came down to future 50 in July, was just shy of 6'4, 241 pounds, and a lean 241. Mm-hmm. So he could very easily get in that weight program and bulk up to 270. 275, or he could stay in that range and be really athletic. But the versatility, he could be kind of a penetrating three technique. Yeah. He could play, he could be versatile enough where he could be strong enough and quick enough to play the five technique, kind of be, or he could stand up and kind of be in a hybrid role. But the mere fact that he, you could potentially do all those things is what's most important because when you get him, you can kind of develop him where you see best or rotate him and move him around. But tremendous explosiveness and versatility are the two things that
1: stand up. The Crimson Tide's arch-rivals Auburn, which lost, as we discussed earlier, uh, wide receiver Carmelo English, picked up another great receiver, number 67 in the country, Adam Hopkins. Uh, He's one of the fastest players we've tracked with max speed at just a tick under 22 miles an hour, which, just as a reminder, that 22-mile-per-hour mark is blazing Tyreek Hill range. Um, He was the MVP of our Atlanta camp two years ago, which you and your staff said was arguably the most talented group uh, that we've ever had. I mean, he put up a four-six laser to laser, 120 broad. I mean, you name it across the board, he performed well. But I just was wondering if you have recollections of that from uh, not this past spring, but the spring before.
0: Yeah, that camp was loaded, and it was. Uh, he won the uh, kind of ISO Chill MVP, which which included like a like a chain, like it wasn't just like a like here's a ribbon, <laughs> yeah. but it was that it was that impressive of a. Uh, of a performance at a camp that was just absolutely loaded. So, yeah, a really, really talented player. And you want to talk about you lose English, but then you rebound and get Hopkins.
1: Yeah, and he's a guy, I I don't know if the production's been off the charts at the high school level, so probably one of the guys on the top of my list that I'm most interested to hear the reports from uh, Under Armour camp and see how he performs against the best in the nation uh, at the Under Armour game. Um, And then moving out west, a guy who you had on TV, Samuel Green, defensive tackle, high three-star explosive athlete who did they utilize him on a fake punt in that game also
0: yeah so yeah, yeah he's an interesting player because he was kind of off the radar before coming to St. Francis. He's, he had a top three of like g5 school nothing wrong with that but <clears throat> you want to talk about winding up and I remember their head coach uh Masai Hallamarium said you know listen he, he wants to commit during the game which he did at halftime which was awesome I I was like yeah absolutely but I had I'll be honest with you with all the talent I had to go back and rewatch him again yeah. I was like whoa yeah. this is like where did this guy come from and you know because you think about a defensive line that has Deshaun Womack on it like he is good get off good pad level good with his hands really uh their head coach Masai Hallimer says really picks things up quickly and that's huge for USC obviously I think there's a little bit of a connection there with Shane Lee who went to St. Francis and yeah. via Alabama and now <laughs> at, now at USC but i um, Malachi Nelson, Makai Lemon, Zachary There is no shortage of perimeter skill talent, but if they're going to ultimately be productive and vie for national championships, they're going to need to be better in the trenches. And a guy like this is, a, is certainly a big step in that direction. That was a really nice pickup by USC and by a, a guy too. A nice job by them that really maybe deserves more credit. it be interesting. Another guy that we need to mark down in the next update
1: to, to potentially going to move up. And he's a guy, too, you mentioned they need to add some interior pieces. I anticipate USC is going to be in a handful of shootouts every year, and he's a guy who, from that three-tech spot, can get pressure without blitzing, which is an essential part of uh, playing out there in the Pac-12 and playing in those high-scoring games. Uh, USC, that wasn't the only notable commit for them this week. They picked up uh, junior 300 prospect Joey Olson, number 166 in the junior 300. He's a high school receiver who we currently have projected at tight end,
0: Yeah, when I watched him, the immediate name that came to mind, well, I could get the name in my head. I couldn't remember who I'd ask you. And once I started describing who I was talking about, you gave it to me right (laughs) away, and that's Grant Grant Calcaterra. Yeah. Signed the 17th. Really, obviously signed at Oklahoma, didn't finish his career there. But I think, you know, not surprised that, you know, Lincoln Riley would would target somebody like Olsen because I see a lot of similarities between those two. Really, basically, you know, a plus-size receiver. Uh, Be a really productive uh, receiving target and, so I, I definitely see those similarities between him and Calcaterra. So a really nice pickup there for the Trojans in 24.
1: And then staying out west, a player from uh, California, four-star, uh, likely projects as an outside linebacker, Blake Nicholson, uh, committing to Florida State, so a great get for the Seminoles. Nicholson's a really fun guy to watch on film. He plays running back. He plays receiver. He plays linebacker. He's put up incredible testing numbers, currently a four-star in uh, the ESPN rankings who will definitely be under consideration for – Uh, the next 300 update. And then staying in the Sunshine State 2024 running back Chauncey Bowens has committed to Florida, uh, number 253 in the junior 300. He's a 215-pounder who's already running sub-1100 meters, um, has great lateral quickness, breaks tackles, He's productive in the passing game, so a nice early get for Billy Napier and that stuff.
0: Sounds like a, a baby Mike Sellers. Or, oh, yeah, like maybe. A, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so uh, my two takeaways from this is obviously some big commitments coming off the board, both the 23-24 class. And we may need to expand to, like, the ESPN 310 because we've got, <laughs> we got a few more guys we need to – get in here so
1: Craig for years you were complaining we should have never went from the 150 to the 300 uh, so let's let's hold our horses at uh, 300 there. no it's certainly exciting <laughs>
0: though as we get to the next update coming later this fall that there's certainly some players uh, to look at and uh, proof after the uh, evaluation and recruiting process never ends so some big commitments there and more to come here as we get a little bit later in the fall and players continue uh, to take visits as we get even closer to the early signing period which will be here before before we uh, before we know it so any more? News? No, I think that, that's good for this week. We're good. All right. So, uh, again, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, we weren't here last week, but welcome back. Uh, appreciate all of those of you who have left five-star ratings. Uh, continue to listen and uh, hit us up with any suggestions at the UC Report, at Craig Hobart, C-R-A-I-G-H-A-U, B boy, E-R-T. Uh, continue to hopefully have great guests every week again this Friday night, 6 o'clock Eastern on ESPNU-IMG, taking on Central high school out of Alabama. We will talk to you next week. Have a great week of high school and college football. Until then. Thanks, guys.